Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In his article, The Ethical Significance of Cost-Benefit Analysis in Business and the Professions, Robert Audi starts out by looking at utilitarianism briefly, which is a very important moral theory used in general application, whether in ethics very broadly, personal life, business, medicine, as he points out. But there are some problems that one could raise in trying to use a cost-benefit approach that is so central to utilitarianism. And the first three that he points out stem from him, you know, raising an issue. Can ethics really be this simple? And he says, it would be tempting to answer yes, but this would be misleading because ethics really isn't this simple. If we want to do ethics well, we can't just get some nice formulas and then go to town and throw everything in there. We want it to make sense and apply to the complexities of real life or else it's not much good. So cost-benefit analysis-based ethics really can't be that simple. And there's more issues that could be raised than just these three questions that Audi is bringing up. But these are pretty central if the goal is to quantify utility for each person potentially involved or affected by the options that we're looking at and then thinking about the probabilities, right? So if we're going to take a quantitative, a numerical approach to this, which is very, very tempting for many people, you notice that lots of thinkers are attracted to utilitarianism in part because they think it's the best theory. So we have to ask these questions. How do we measure happiness or whatever other value we are going to make central to our analysis? Now, if it's money, money is pretty easy because it's, you know, how much somebody's willing to pay for something or how much something actually does cost, right? But that's not usually what we're working with. And we definitely wouldn't want to reduce all values down to money, would we? So we need to think in terms of like pain and pleasure. How do we in fact quantify our own pains and pleasures. So he says, I'm going to leave aside problems that must be solved if a quantitative scale is to be devised. How can we tell whether you get more happiness from a rock song than you do from hearing a Shakespeare sonnet well read? Or for that matter, a Shakespeare sonnet, you reading it. Or for that matter, you reading the lyrics to a rock song. We could go on and on and on. How do you tell whether you actually do, in general, get more benefit from, say, eating a slice of your favorite type of pie versus having a cup of your favorite type of soup? And these are things that are sort of within the same range. How do you measure losing your job versus moving on to another position and getting a different title? Right? How do you actually quantify these matters? Turns out it's not as easy as we might at first think. Then it gets more complicated. 
Let's assume that you actually know your psychology inside and out. You can quantify to whatever decimal point exactly how much pleasure, exactly how much pain you get from each experience, and it remains consistent over time. Well, how do you compare yourself to other people? The world is primarily other people. You're just one of many. How do we compare one other person to another other person from ourselves? I mean, we can poll them, we can ask them, but they may not actually know their own psychology though. He says, here's an example. What about how much happiness you get from a good salad at lunch versus how much I get from one? Some people are really into salad, right? There's probably magazines and clubs out there for people that are super, super into salad. And they would, of course, get a higher utility from a great salad. And you might actually get less because salad isn't that central to your life. Similarly, how much benefit in cost benefit terms would you get from the concert ticket that you purchased to hear your favorite band compared to somebody else who just goes to all the shows of whatever band happens to be there? It's it's difficult to quantify this, isn't it? How do we compare and contrast these against each other? Now, the third one, It's very important from a utilitarian perspective. How can we, in fact, calculate probabilities? How can we say what the actual numerical likelihood of you enjoying or suffering pleasure or pain, cost or benefit will be for any particular given thing? So he gives an example. How do we calculate the probability of a given degree of happiness we find in seeing an old friend after many many years. I mean, is it 10%? Is it 100%? Is it 65.6%? Who knows, right? How do you determine the probabilities for that? That's pretty tough. It's a little bit easier to say, you know, the probability of me enjoying a particular shake made with a fruit that I like, like pineapple, pretty high, right? But they could screw it up. And like he points out, the probability is not always the same, nor do we have a manageable list of the relevant cost positive variables. So these seem to you know, present some obstacles for effectively using cost-benefit analysis, don't they? But as Audi is going to point out to us, any ethical theory that makes beneficence, doing good to other people, important, is going to run into these problems. So it's not purely utilitarianism or anything that's based on cost-benefit analysis that's going to run into this. We could say that Cicero's On Duties, which talks about justice and who we ought to do beneficence to, that's going to run into it as well, even though he has rules for that. If we take beneficence seriously, we're bound to run into these problems. It just so happens that utilitarianism, because it values universal or general beneficence, it makes that absolutely central to its ethical theory, does run into these much more quickly than other ethics. Okay, so, you know, maybe that gets utilitarianism off the hook. Then he brings up two other very interesting objections. And he says that, suppose I promise you to do something. 
right? I make a promise. Do you want me calculating how much unhappiness you or anyone else would suffer if I don't perform versus how much happiness I would get from breaking my promise and doing something else, right? And this is a constant temptation in life, isn't it? To say, well, I made a commitment, but you know, if I break that commitment, some people are going to be bothered, offended, hurt, but overall it's going to work out better, right? Well, that's always a temptation, particularly if you don't want to follow through on the obligation that you made in making a promise. And some people actually do behave that way, but we don't want to reduce the morality of commitments, of fidelity, of promise making simply to what is going to pay off the best overall, do we? So this is a very common concern or objection about utilitarianism. And then he also says, let's also ask whose happiness is in question. From a utilitarian perspective, we cannot count one person as having more valuable happiness than another. So it looks as if prosperous people and prosperous nations may have to share resources far more than most of them do, volunteer for more public and foreign service. Doing this would be admirable, but on this theory, utilitarianism, it wouldn't just be admirable, it would be obligatory. It would be what you have to do. So this would seem to be a problem because we typically want to, in ethics, say there's the things that we are morally required to do. And then there are the things that are good for us to do. And we're not necessarily morally required in every situation to do them. Maybe we're not morally required in any situation, but it would be good to do those things, right? And utilitarianism seems to be blurring them together, or as Audi is going to say, it assimilates the obligatory to the laudable, the obligatory, what we must do if we're to be moral beings, the laudatory, what is praiseworthy, what is good, but not required for us to do. And this seems to be a problem as well. And so he concludes this by saying, you know, this is one among other reasons we might prefer other uh, approaches in ethics. He will go on to the Kantian approach, but he's also going to consider a virtue ethics approach and then his own pluralistic ethics as well, which he talks about near the end. So these are all alternatives to utilitarianism. And why would we turn to these alternatives? Because there's some problems with taking a overall cost benefit analysis approach to ethics in general as utilitarianism does. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.